Uh, in 2016, uh, a small group of us walked through, a, when we didn't know where we would meet, walked through a building on 18th and L. And uh, it, was, it was kind of a dream. This would be awesome. We didn't have any money. And so that didn't happen. And uh, we're like, but from that day on, I remember just committing to pray for that every time I drove past. I used to live out in Southwest Lincoln, so I'd drive past it all the time. And uh, in 2008, 18, when we had grown out of our current, uh, this building, uh, we had three gatherings and we, we've outgrown, we've been outgrown it for a long time. Uh, but anyways, uh, we, we had walked through it and said, Hey, could God do this? Could he open the door to this amazing building on 18th and O? And, um, but it was, it was for sale for $5 million and we couldn't afford that. And so, uh, God just kind of shut that door and we thought, okay, but I remember just saying, I'm, I'm going to keep praying that someday we're going to worship in that space. And then, uh, 2021, this is after we planted three churches, sent a bunch of people out and still needed a bigger building, we went back there. The guys were like, these guys again, you know, these city light guys, like they don't have any money. They keep asking for a discount, you know? And uh, so we go and we're like, hey, we're praying and we're talking to uh, God, you know? And so we go through, we, we toured through the building. Uh, we, we sat down actually in a conference room with the owners. I pitched my heart out, you know, like, well, this is the story. What You could be a part of it, you know? And they're like, we just can't budge on price. So that stayed at 5 million we can't sell it to you guys. And uh, so that happened. Then fall of 2022, uh, there's a building called Kelly's Carpet on 46th and Vine that we we're like, hey, this might be it. I thought it was going to be 18th and 0, maybe with this. And so we, we get under contract. We tried to raise some money. The finances weren't there. It didn't really work. And so we had to back out of that. And that one fell through. And then in 2023, literally just this last fall, a few months ago, uh, we're like, we're going to walk through that building on 18th and O again. And I remember a buddy of mine's like, dude, you're insane. Like how many times do you have to be told no before you realize like, it's just no, you know, walk through. I feel like I know that building better than the realtor, by the way. Like I know it, you know, and I've been in it for seven years praying or eight years, you know, almost. And so it's anyways, all that. And, uh, it was the same situation, same conversation, same, same small talk, same for all this stuff, but something different happened. They said, yes. And to this, uh, you know, no, no, or no uh, movement price of $5 million. They said they would sell it to us for $2 million. But So that's a miracle. Like, they actually changed their answer after all these years. And then it was like, well, what about the finance part? Like, is there any way, you know? And, uh, and we had, Kelly's didn't work out, well, whatever. And I think it was 45 days officially. In 45 days, you, the church, gave $2.5 million. And we had to buy that miracle building that we've been praying for for seven years and hearing no and no and no over and over again. We had to buy it for cash and that's ours. Is that incredible? And so, uh, yeah, yeah, praise God. It's amazing. So we've got a little video just to, just to capture. This is the moment we were asking God for in 2016. It's happened. She's a looker for sure, and uh, she needs a little bit of TLC, but it's amazing to think about. And again, it's just, uh, it's been wild to see him answer this prayer in this way after hearing no so many times. And so I just, group participation in this moment, um, uh, if you have prayed for something and it hasn't happened, or, or let's say if you prayed for something and it didn't happen, would you raise your hand? Just around the room. If you prayed for something, yep, okay, so we're probably all on the same page. Okay, next question. If you have prayed for something and it hasn't happened yet, but you're still praying that it would happen, raise your hand. 
Awesome. Okay, so if you've, do you qualify for this last question? Raise your hand if you've raised your hand for one of these first two. So number one, if you've prayed for something and it didn't happen. Number two, if you've prayed for something and it hasn't happened yet, raise your hand if you are still praying, though, if you're still committed to praying. Okay, around the room. So just for everyone in here, raise your hand. I'm not a clinical psychologist. I don't have the actual right to say this, but you are officially insane. Okay, like you are just, that's okay. I hope you're not offended by that. You're insane. I mean, literally the definition of insanity is doing the same thing, expecting different results. And that's what we've all said. I prayed, it didn't happen. I keep praying, it's not happening. What am I gonna do? Keep praying. It's the same. How many no's is it gonna take for you to realize that it's, I'm just gonna keep praying. You're insane. And so, I mean, the idea of prayer is insane. Number one, just the idea that the holy God of the universe in heaven right now on his throne would listen to us. Like the belief that it would take to believe that he listens to us. That's crazy. And then to go even further, that he not only listens, but that he would respond, that he would do something to our pleas and respond and actually change something here. Like that's, that's, that's insane. And the fact that we could keep asking, even though the answer hasn't seemed to be yes, or that nothing seems to be happening, or it's not working, to keep praying, that is by definition insane to engage in something we have no control over. And I I can't think of another story that embodies this insanity like the story we find in Acts chapter 12. This church believed, despite deep disappointment, that God could do the impossible. And so to be clear, to pray is to choose insanity and trust God. That's, that's, what, that's what it is, right? And so I want to look at two things uh, as we look through the verses in two parts. There, the church's insane resiliency and then God's insane results, what he had done because of that, okay? So let's look at verses one through five, one through five. Acts chapter 12. Um, about that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. Uh, verse two, he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And we saw that it pleased the Jews. He proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. But when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison. Here's the insane part. But earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Okay, insane resiliency. Now, if you're familiar with the New Testament, um, Herod is a familiar name, right? You've heard it. You might've heard it before. Uh, our Herod is Herod the King. So that's how he's named, categorized. But his grandpa, Herod the Great, was the one who ordered the slaughter of all the babies in Bethlehem in Matthew chapter two. So that's his grandpa, Herod the Great. Herod the Tetrarch is, shows up in Matthew 14 and he's the one who beheaded John the Baptist. Okay, so, and then our Herod King, the King, is just killed James, the first martyr of Jesus's 12 disciples in the inner, in his inner three really of John and Peter and James. And now James is dead. So Herod has this lineage, this clear, overt, kind of robust lineage of evil and opposition towards Jesus and his kingdom. His grandpa kills the babies in Bethlehem looking for Jesus. His uncle beheads John the Baptist and then he kills James, the first disciple to be martyred, right? And so you get this clear kind of expression coming forward. And when Herod killed James, it says that the Jews were pleased. And he's like, oh, you're happy? I can, well, how about that? Watch this. Let me arrest Peter, the big dog who preached in Acts 2 at Pentecost and thousands got saved. I can do the same thing to him. You want to be, you like that? And they're like, yeah, this is awesome. But the key is in verses three and four, it says that it's during the Passover or the days of unleavened bread. And it's key because, um, 
in that, in that space, celebrating that, you, according to Jewish customs, you couldn't uh, perform an execution during those days. So Herod's like, just so, you know, James died, Peter, I can't, I can't have Peter escape, so I'm gonna imprison him, and I've just basically had to wait this out, and once Passover's over, I'm gonna kill him. So that's the plan, right? That's why Peter is in prison, and he has to delay, and then that space, right? Um, and so all of this is happening. In verse five, here's the insane part. Earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now, in the brief summary of James's death, that we get in the verses above, it doesn't explicitly say that, that they prayed for James, right? We don't get that like word for word. But again, if you look at the whole book of Acts and the church's deep and undying commitment to prayer, especially in the face of persecution, like Acts chapter four, there is no way in my mind that you could ever think that the church didn't gather to pray for James too, right? We hear that they prayed for Peter and it's like, well, I'm assuming that the same thing happened for James based on the whole book of Acts and their commitment to pray, pray in the face of persecution. And so um, despite their prayer meetings, Despite their belief that God could free James and preserve him from death, he still dies. I mean, how heartbreaking and disappointing would that be to pray, to gather, to believe, and yet he still dies. James, um, it, it gets arrested by the prominent expression of evil in their time. The church prays, God, you said you came to set the captives free. Do it again. God, you, in Acts 5, you just freed the apostles from prison. Just do it again. Whatever you worked in that, the jail oh, just do that again. But he dies. And remember, they've witnessed resurrection too. So, I mean, Lazarus, uh, Jairus' daughter, Tabitha, Jesus. So maybe even after he, James died, they're like, we're gonna gather and pray for resurrection. God, you, you've done it, raise him, raise him, do it. You, you can work the miracle. And he stays dead. Have you ever had moments like that? Like honestly, I mean, it, it, praying for something, believing that it can happen, asking as often as you can, pleading with God, but it just doesn't, just doesn't happen. Uh, the cancer keeps growing. The spouse never comes. The pregnancy test says negative again. The job never gets better. The prodigal still hasn't returned. The addiction is still there. Like, what do you do when you keep praying and nothing seems to be happening? When you pray and all the result you get is just disappointment. It just seems like it's just no at every single level. What do you do? What did they do? Verse five, they earnestly prayed. You know the other, so Luke is the author of the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts that we're reading right now. And the only other time he uses this word earnest is in Luke chapter 22. And the context of Luke 22 is that Jesus is praying in the garden of Gethsemane right before, a day before he goes to the cross to die for sins because we couldn't save ourselves. Jesus is praying and Luke uses the word, this same word, earnest, to describe Jesus's prayer. And what's happening when he's praying? He's praying so earnestly that he's sweating blood. Luke goes, uh, I'm gonna use earnest for that. And then the church prays in Acts chapter 12, and he goes, I'm gonna, draw, I'm gonna grab that same word. Jesus, for they, I mean, they're praying hard. And friends, this is after James died. This is after the disappointment of their prayers not being answered. This is prayer with tears still on your face, believing that God might do something. I mean, I don't know, James died, but maybe Peter would live. It's just, it's mind-blowing to me that they would keep praying. I mean, it's the definition of insanity in the midst of disappointment. And then no, we'll keep asking, maybe he would say yes. I don't know about you, but my heart can get so discouraged when I'm praying and it doesn't seem to be doing anything. And my most knee-jerk reaction is just to say, 
I'm gonna try something different, God. Like if you're not gonna respond and do something, I'm gonna take matters into my own hands and try to do something. And I tend to stop, you know, praying. And the church in Acts 12 had one play. They had one play that they ran and it was to pray. And they prayed for James and he dies. And so they're like, well, what do we do? We run the same play again and, and maybe Peter would live. Like that's what's happening and there's resiliency. And I'm going, man, they must know something that I don't know. The church in Acts 12 must have known something about God and prayer that I just don't know. And throughout this story, I've been convinced that we don't need a better view of prayer. We need a bigger view of God. And that would shape our prayers subsequently. And so I, I just think there are, there are some wrong ways that we approach God in prayer. So I just want to point three of these out just to be clear on who we're praying to. Number one, God is not your puppet. God is not your puppet or my puppet. He doesn't, he's not obligated to do whatever you want. These are these prayers. I think sometimes we think that when we pray, it's almost attaching strings to our fingers that attach to God's hands and we can move them in the way we want. It just doesn't work that way. These are prayers that in our hearts we're thinking, I know better. God, if you could see what I see, if you knew what I knew, you would do something different, right? And we think he's just, he's just our puppet. Like I know better. Let me control this situation. Let me, let me be in charge for a moment. He's not your puppet. Number two, God is not your debtor. And I can't emphasize how important this is to realize he is not your debtor as if he owes you literally anything. Um, I think there's spaces where I've found myself praying or I've talked to other people and there is just this heart posture where we wouldn't say this, but in our heart, we're thinking, I deserve this. I've I've, I've, I've worked for you, God. I've, I wrote that check I, to the church or to the mission trip or I, I, I started city group or I've been going to church or I've been stopped, I stopped doing this. I started doing this. I've been as nice as I can. I've done this. I've prayed and God, I deserve this. Why wouldn't you give it to me? And God's going, I'm not your debtor. You have not worked up some type of stock that you could trade in and make me force my hand into answering your prayer. You can't be good enough for me to say yes or no. And number three, God is not your vending machine. There's this idea that it, it, this proverbial button, you know, it's like if I pray hard enough for long enough and what, if I can put enough in there, then maybe I'll get something in return as if God is obligated to give you what you ask. This is the idea. I need this now. And he's saying it doesn't work that way. You don't come to me transactionally and just ask for things and I'm obligated to give them or not give them. So God is not your puppet. He's not your debtor. He's not your vending machine. God is God, Right? Like he's God. Like in Isaiah 46, verse 10, it says, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purposes. So I want, you, I want to teach you a new word that I've been learning. Maybe some of you guys know it, but the word is inscrutable. Inscrutable, right? And the definition of inscrutable is impossible to understand or interpret, right? The mind of a woman. Okay, inscrutable, right? No, no. I, my wife, been married for almost nine years. I'm like, babe, you're inscrutable. I don't know what you're thinking, how you're thinking. I'm just gonna go with the flow. It's an adventure. Let's go. This is great, right? But inscrutable, right? Impossible to understand or interpret. This is the word for me that describes the sovereignty of God. His sovereignty is his rule. It's his reign. It's his authority. It's his control. And all of that sovereignty is by definition inscrutable. We just... We don't understand it. And I think there's those moments where we say, I can't make it make sense. I, 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 don't, I, I don't have an answer. 
as I've studied this, why James, James dies and Peter lives, I don't know. I don't have an answer. I cannot have an explanation for why some people who want to be parents so badly are praying and yet they, they don't have a child. And some parents that don't want to have kids are getting pregnant. And it's just like, what's going on? You know, I don't know why cancer sometimes just miraculously goes away and they live and some people's cancer, just they die from it. I, I don't have an answer. I think some of the most holy words that we can utter are, I don't understand, but I trust. I just, I'm done. I, I, I'm, I'm finished. I'm done trying to make you make sense. I'm done trying to put all the pieces together. You're God. And by definition, that means you can do whatever you want, even though I don't understand. I don't need an explanation because you're God. I won't know all of the reasons why this is happening right in this moment. I'm choosing to trust you when I don't understand. I'm choosing to embrace your inscrutable sovereignty. And I gotta, I gotta call this out because I feel like this is a language that I hear often, language that I'm prone to use as well. But just to make this emphatically clear, there is no such thing as unanswered prayers. We, we just got, we gotta stop saying that. It's just, it's not true. There's not like this, you know, huge folder in heaven where God's like answered prayers for Catherine. And there's this long, you know, and then there's like 16 of them, it seems like where it's like unanswered prayers. You know, it's not like God's like, oh, I'm on the phone. Uh, I, I, can't, I can't pick this one up. I just, that's, he's heard every prayer you've ever prayed. Scripture says he caught, he's caught every tear you've ever t- cried. Like he's like that intimate. So he's heard and he's answered. And in Psalm 116, in verse one, it says, David says, I love the Lord because he heard my voice. So just so you know, he's heard every prayer. It doesn't mean he said, I think the way we use unanswered is if he said yes, but guys, no is just as much of an answer as Yes. And so is not yet. So we can't just say, you could say God said yes to some prayers, but that'd be okay. But you couldn't say he didn't answer them. He did, he just might not have given you the answer you wanted or were looking for. Tim Keller wrote a book on prayer that's amazing. I think it's his titled Prayer, but it's amazing. And, um, and it says this, and this was, this was life-changing for me. He says this in prayer, God will either give you exactly what you pray for or he'll give you exactly what you would have prayed for if you knew all that he knew. Does that make sense? Those are your two options. You pray, he's like, yep, I'll give it to you. Or I'll give, nope, but I'll give you what you would have asked for if you knew all that I knew. Um, My daughter, Eden, she's three years old. I think we got a picture of her. Uh, Just get ready for the cuteness. That's Eden. She looks just like her mom. You know, I'm really blessed. But I mean, the smile, the hair, the, like her little eyes, her little dimples. I mean, but honestly, one of the most compelling things about her is her little voice. It's super soft and it's just like kind of sweet. And, and so Eden, I mean, I'm completely wrapped around her finger. Okay. I just got to admit that before you guys. And Kristen's like, you've got to see through it. And I'm like, those brown eyes, her little voice. I mean, true story. The other, like the other night, it's bedtime. Like Gracie and Haddon and Kristen are in the bathroom getting their toothbrushes ready. And Eden walks up to me and goes, Daddy, and she has a ring pop like a, in the package. Can I have this? And I'm like, sweetheart, no. And she's like, peace, Daddy. And I was like, okay. And I put it in her mouth. And Kristen's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I can't tell her no. I just look at her. And she's like, it's, you can do it. And I just, I just, you, I, I got to say this. And you have to understand this. God is not wrapped around your finger. He's not. He doesn't treat you the same way I treat Eden. He loves you even more than I love her. You're even more precious to him than, but he, he has self-control. He knows, he loves you and he knows what's best because he's God. And even your most earnest pleas will not make him compromise on what he knows is best for you. Does that make sense? 
Like this is huge for you to understand. You can still love me and say no. No is a loving thing or not yet is too. It's not just the most loving expression of God. It wouldn't be to say yes to every prayer we pray. We don't know what he knows, but he will give us what's best. And so the church in Acts 12 chose insane resiliency in their prayer in the midst of disappointment. And the question for us is, will we do that too? Um, next, let's look at the results of this, the insane results of what God did in, in light of their prayer. Uh, look at verse six, we'll read through 17. So the story unfolds. Now, when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him saying, get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And when he went out and followed him, he did not know what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision, which by the way is crazy. Now, when they had passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city and it opened for them of its own accord. And they went out and went along one street. Immediately the angel left him. Now, when Peter came to him, he said, now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all the Jewish people were expecting. And so when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. And recognizing Peter's voice in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. And they said to her, you're out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. And they kept saying, it's his angel. But Peter continued knocking. And when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning his hand to them uh, to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. And he departed and went to another place. This is insane, is it not? I mean, what God did, this is the miraculous story. Herod took no risks, by the way. Herod the king, he knew what he was doing. He says, hey, this dude's not, I'm not risking this escape while we wait. You've got two soldiers that you're handcuffed to, big brute men, and then you've got two soldiers at the door. Like, there's no way you're getting out. Like, there's just, there's nothing, right? In verse six, again, it says, Herod was about to bring him out on that very night. So literally, this is kind of almost humorous to me. On the night before he is gonna die, God's like, I'm gonna wait till that night and release you. It's like, God, I was getting nervous. Like you couldn't have done the night before or something, like some dramatic effect to the story. Um, but that's what happens. An angel comes, Peter's fast asleep. Angel wakes him up, says, hey, get up. Chains fall off and they walk out free and clear. Right? It's beautiful. So he goes to Mary's house because uh, that's where the, he knew the church would have been gathering at least in some regard. And in verse 12, it says that they were, many were gathered and praying together earnestly for Peter, right? So I want to point out two things about this. Number one, they prayed for days. Remember the whole key to Peter being in prison is that Herod couldn't kill him right then because Passover was going on. So it could have been up to seven days that Peter was in prison and the church is praying for him while they, Herod waited before he could kill him. This wasn't a prayer night. This wasn't a worship night. This wasn't a one-time event. They spent days and days and days while Peter was in prison to, and praying for him. Number two, they didn't just pray for days. They prayed for nights. I mean, verse six, um, on that very night, and Peter was sleeping. So it's nighttime. Peter is fast asleep in the deepest REM cycle, right? He's doing that. Angel comes, releases him. And it says immediately he went to Mary's house. So he's going to Mary's house at 2 a.m. I don't know. De Leon's is the only place open. You know, he maybe grabbed a hash brown burrito on the way. I don't know. But all that's happening. And guess what? In the middle of the night, guess what's happening? 
They're praying. And I, in my heart, I was just thinking, man, imagine Peter walking up to Mary's house and hearing the, the silent, the, like the hush of prayer among the saints in that room. And I bet he thought to himself, oh, th- this is how it happened. This is why I'm here. I mean, God, but these are the ones who begged him to do what he did for me. It's amazing. And one of the craziest parts of the story is that Rhoda hears his voice, so excited she doesn't open the gate for him, just runs and tells people. And he's like, uh, I'm here, guys. Like, I, I'm a wanted criminal. Yeah, this is not a good scenario. And they, they, the craziest part to me is that they don't believe her. In verse 15, they're like, you're out of your mind, Rhoda. What are you, what are you, it's late. Go back to bed, you know, this whole thing. And she's like, no, he's there. And I, what's crazy for me is God literally gave them what they asked for. And they're like, no way guys. But here's my question for you. Is there anything that you're praying for right now that if it happened, you wouldn't believe it? I mean, like, is there anything that if God literally was like, okay, you'd be like, no way. I mean, that, that's the kind of prayer, like, and I don't know about you, but I want to pray prayers like that, that I actually, that I believe, like, if they happen, it would be impossible. I want to pray prayers that I'd be nervous to tell my friends about because they're like, you're crazy, dude. I'm like, I, I don't know. Like, I want to pray prayers that if they happened, I would know that only God did that. So they finally go check and verse 16 says they were amazed. That word amazed is translated to, to go insane or to lose your mind. Like that's, that's it. And, and they're mind blown. And, I just, and they were so rambunctious in their celebration that verse 17 says that Peter's like, shh. they're going to catch me. You know, like you got to quiet down, but it's the appropriate response to this type of answered prayer. And so I just, for me in this moment, I'm thinking, I want to go back to the moments of joy when God says yes, like Peter, in my moments of despair, when he says no, like James, I want to remember that moment. But and I, I just, I don't want you to miss the story of Rhoda in this. She's a servant girl. She doesn't have much. She's a follower of Jesus along with everyone else praying in the house. And for the last several days, Rhoda has been praying. She's been choosing this insane resiliency and the disappointment of James. I'm gonna still pray for Peter. I'm still gonna beg God. And she's prayed for days and for nights. She's up late at night praying with everybody else. And, and I'm sure her knees are getting tired. She's probably starting to callous because she's prayed so much time and she knows Passover is ending and tomorrow's gonna be the day that Peter dies. And in the middle of the night, she's tired. She's trying to push through prayer and she hears a knock on the door. Rhoda, will you get it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so she goes over, she, op- she hears Peter's voice and she freaks out and it says, in her joy. And I just wanna say what's going on in Rhoda's heart as she's running back to tell them in this great joy. For me, I'm just thinking, she's thinking to herself, I'm a servant girl. I don't have much. I'm not in leadership. I don't have power, but I prayed. And the God of the universe that made the heavens and the earth, that spoke the world into existence, that's seated on his glorious throne right now, that that God listened to me. <laughs> I, I can't believe it. He, he loves me. He heard me. He listened. He responded. He sent an angel. It really works. He really hears. He's real. Like just to think about what's going on in her heart. I bet that from that moment on, she was a prayer warrior, never seeing God or prayer the same way. Friends, our story ends with God's uh, clear display of him being God, inscrutably sovereign. In the beginning of our story, Herod is king. He is uh, uh, active. He kills. James is dead. Peter's in prison. The church is disappointed. By the end of our story, Herod dies gets eaten by worms. Okay, it's kind of crazy. <coughs> Peter is free. Rhoda is a prayer warrior and the church is ignited. And in verse 24, it says, the word of God continued, increased and multiplied. And I'm just saying, this is our God. 
And what did he, how did all this happen? What did he use? The insane prayers of simple people. Want to do the same thing and expecting a different result just to choose insanity and trust God. It's beautiful. 